Very good. Well, thank you for that. Thank you, Stephen. You want to go back in time, church? How about believing this? There was a time when Stephen Adelini, your pastor, as a little young boy, rode on my skis. Can you imagine that? This big old guy used to ride on my skis because he wanted to learn how to ski. And I taught my daughters how to ski by putting them on my, around my arm in a life jacket. Then they would stand on my skis and we would hold and then yell to Shelly to hit it. And then out of the water we'd come and the kids would ride on my skis and they'd hold on to the rope. And I had a really hard time with Steven. <laughs> it was a little different than my little daughters from popping up little peanut butts. But Stephen, he was shaving at age five. <laughs> so you could just about imagine what the challenge was. But we did it, and it was a great time, and we drank a lot of lake water, too. But those were some great days. Wow. It's a great joy to uh, be before you this holiday season and to open the Word of God. Stephen, thanks for the opportunity. My purpose this morning is to give us a biblical foundation to our work in the world. We're going to open the Word of God, and we're going to see the beauty of God's Word. We're going to look at it as it relates to nations, God's kingdom that rules over all. And then further, we're going to look at some videos, and if time allows, maybe a little question and answer period as we discuss our international operations. Okay? Got it? That's what we're going to do. Well, the year was 1973. That's the year my, I began with New Covenant Church. I was 14 years of age. I had cool hair like Wesley Rye. <laughs> Wesley, I have a piece of advice for you. Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> I've been here 48 years. In 1975, at the age of 16, I bought my car, my first car, with the money that I made. Let's see if I can get this to work. Oh, I got to flip it on. Roy, yes. I have to flip it on? Yes. Oh, so I have responsibility here. Okay, how am I doing? Ah, there, oh, 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 oh. It's not working. Roy, I, oh, that's not the one. Roy, oh. I need you, Roy. I'm going the wrong way. Ooh. Go forward. Go forward? That's always the idea, isn't it? Okay. Okay, I did, but it... Yeah, it's moved to another slide. I'll have to change it back. Okay, run. <laughs> well, thank you, Roy. You are deeply loved by all of us. You are amazing. Yes, he is. He is amazing. He is amazing. Tell me when you think we're there. Ah, there we are. All right, 1975. I was 16 years of age. I uh, worked on a farm and at Walbart Nursery, and I bought my first car, a 1970 Ford Torino fire engine red, jacked up dual exhaust. 8-track player, 60s on the back, 70s on the front. It was an amazing vehicle. I loved it. I'd love to have it today. Even the 8-track player so I can cruise down Missouri Bottom Road listening to Head East. 
Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, my gosh. Joe Hayworth, I might need you to explain to some of the younger members what an 8-track player is. You got that? <laughs> well, this church has always had a heart for world missions. In 1976, I was 17 years of age, and there was a big heap offering being taken for world missions. I didn't have much money at that time, so I learned that the pastors were not only receiving money, but they were receiving jewelry and coin collections and other kinds of items and even vehicles. Well, I did not give my Torino. <laughs> but I did take the tires and the wheels off of it, and I gave it to the church, and they sold them and put the money into World Mission Projects. I went out and bought some cheap stock tires for a while until I can afford new ones again. Fast forward. Many of you may not know, but I pastored New Covenant Church for 33 years. Now I'm privileged to lead our international operations. Uh, I am privileged to serve the interests of this church around the world. 1985 was my first trip to Zambia, Africa. And so I've been to uh, serve the church's interests in, in Zambia, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, the Congo, into Pakistan now, India, Guatemala, we have been really privileged as a church to reach into our Father's world. I count it an honor to work with these brothers in different countries, to know them and to serve them. It is a true honor. As a matter of fact, newsflash, Brother Adam Kayeba from Zambia, Africa, will be joining me in Pakistan on the first week of January. So we are really blessed to, uh, to have a real international flavor there. All right. Well, if King David was here this morning, and after he led worship, but he, you know, maybe King David was here. Maybe that wasn't Joe Hayworth. <laughs> and if I asked him to pray as I readied myself to preach the word of God, what would David pray? What would be his prayer? Well, we don't have to wonder too much. David, many, many prayers of David recorded in scripture, and one of the finest prayers of David when he was overwhelmed at God's goodness and generosity expressed in the people who gave to the work of the temple, he prayed this glorious prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. He blessed them. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor, they come from you. You rule over all, your hands and your power to make men great, to give strength to all. And now we thank you, God, and we praise your great name. Amen. To know Jesus to know him and to be transformed by him, to be restored by him. I'm here to tell you, it's the greatest blessing any people, any person, any nation could ever experience. Yes. To know Jesus. King David said it this way. You have made known to me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. Today we celebrate joy in the Advent. Fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
You see, there is a path of life and there's a path of death, right? And Jesus puts us on the path of life. Fullness of joy, never-ending joy, greatest joy. The joy that comes from the strength of Christ. So the aim of the gospel that we preach in this church is to bring people through Jesus Christ to God. Peter said it this way. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that he would do what? That he would bring us to God. That he would bring us to God. God himself is the ultimate goal of the gospel. The gospel of Christ crucified and risen brings us many wonderful good things. It brings us the forgiveness of sins. How many can say amen? amen? Imputed righteousness, the removal of the wrath of God, the escape from hell, the hope of heaven, being reunited with loved ones, a peace-filled conscience, and in the end, total healing, a new body, everlasting freedom from pain. And some of you, like my mom, can say amen to that. But these are not the ultimate goal of the gospel. The ultimate goal of the gospel is God, to be with God, to be satisfied in God. Christ suffered to bring us to God. That is the ultimate goal. For in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Knowing God, to be with God, enjoying God, that is the final gospel blessing. God is the goal of the gospel. So your personal mission and our corporate mission is about the greatness of God. It's about the glory of God. It's the all-satisfying beauty of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Christ became a servant in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's what we were doing here this morning during our time of worship. We were glorifying God for his mercies, his mercies that brought us from death to life, that brought, brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We sang about the light of the world this morning. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus. We thank him for his mercies. We sing of his mercies. We testify of his mercies. We swim and we frolic in his mercies. He is the God of all mercy. So having a robust view of God's greatness, his mercy, his beauty, and his supremacy, and a robust plan for our work in the world, it meets together. Because we know from the promises of Numbers 14, 21, the Lord declared himself, he said, but as truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then the prophet Habakkuk comes in and he builds upon that same point and he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord wants us to use our mind. Then Jesus 
on the scene. He makes his glorious declaration when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I've taught you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. What a glorious truth. So the knowledge, the understanding of the glory of God, the understanding of the glory of His gospel, and the glory of all that Jesus teaches. Think of His parables. Think of His teachings. Think of the servant on the mount. That's glorious, my friends. So as we hold on to that, we desire that people would know this great salvation, that they would know the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person, Jesus Christ. That's why we train pastors and leaders in many nations. Why do we do that? Because quite simply, people cannot love with their hearts what they do not understand with their minds. It is imperative. People cannot love with their hearts what they do not understand with their minds. That's why we have pastors and ministries that teach the Word of God to you. That's why we have Covenant Leadership Training Institute in Zambia, in Pakistan now, in India, because our goal is, is that we would, we would train pastors, that we would train leaders, that they would be equipped so that they in turn would disciple people, lead people to Christ and plant churches. And that is a great joy. We are committed to that. The institute, these institutes in these foreign nations is vital to the success of the Great Commission. It's vital to the success of this church's international ministry. I mean, my dear sister, where's Judy Rayden? Judy, Judy's late husband, Joe, Joe, went with me, and he went into India with me, and we trained pastors and leaders together. Steve Adelini here, and David, and Dr. Adelini. Jerry Nance, my dear friend Rob Kletzker, a number of times traveling over and training pastors and leaders in these institutes. We are committed to it. And it's an honor and a joy to be a part of shaping nations and communities. But there is a problem. There is a problem. The nations and the people of this world are not moving in the direction of the supremacy of Christ. The peoples of this world who need the blessings of this church are not standing on tiptoe, waiting for the gospel and the supremacy of Christ to be told them. As a matter of fact, they are hostile to this very message. The mind, according to the scriptures, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh, they cannot please God. The places that we are working and the places that we want to help are filled with many people who love their sins. It's true. They are strong and in many cases ruthless cities. They're not ready to fall on their faces and fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? 
Our mission is not only opposed with natural hostilities of the human heart, but of course with supernatural demonic power as well. Because we do not merely war against human forces of evil, but with against and, and flesh and blood, but rather against wicked powers of darkness. Spiritual forces of evil is contesting the gospel. So my aim today, and Christian, if you would make your way forward, my aim today is to encourage us with a vision of stunning hope that Almighty God is with us and that He loves the vision that He has given us. Here you go, brother. And He has promised us an astounding triumph in the end. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm asking Christian to read for us from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. You have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthlessness, will, nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Mm. For the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when you speak, it's not like the opinion of men, but rather it is settled truth. We look to these words, Lord, words that proceeded out of your mouth. And Lord, we give you thanks for them. I ask that you would burn fresh faith, fresh hope, fresh love into our hearts for you and for your world, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, one indispensable motive for our work in the world is hope. And what I mean by hope is the confidence that we are all engaged in a cause that will triumph in the end. Because no life laid down in the cause of the Great Commission is laid down in vain. No dollar given is in vain. No sermon preached is in vain. No prayer prayed is in vain. Our energies, our sacrifice, our focus is absolutely sustained by hope. Hope in the confidence that God's kingdom will triumph in the world. This passage that we just read out of Isaiah is a picture of that glorious hope. I love Paul's words. 
And I'm sure you do as well. And I'm sure we all cling to them when Paul said, oh, just be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord, ah, it's not in vain. Aren't you glad for that truth? So our energy and our sacrifices, our focus is all sustained by hope. Yes. The confidence that God's kingdom will absolutely triumph in this world. Now this text that we just looked at, it doesn't answer all of the details and the questions about the end of the age and how it's all going to roll out. But what Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk and Isaiah and, and, and Amos and Obadiah, what they do time and again is they give us a picture of that final day of victory. They give us that picture, a little snapshot from one angle and then from another angle. And each time, the purpose of the prophet is, is that we would take heart, that we would give God glory, that we would press on in renewed hope in light of that picture that they gave us that we would move forward with fresh allegiance to Christ. So let's look at what the prophet just told us. Let's break it down a little bit and see what Isaiah saw. What he sees, it stretches from eternity past all the way to eternity future. It's a huge vision. Isaiah says in verse 1, O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. God has made plans long ago in perfect faithfulness. He continues to this day to bring his plans about. He has not abandoned them. He still continues in his purposes and in his plans. You sitting here today is part of God's plan. You loving God is part of his plan because he changed your heart and he inclined you to be a lover of him. God is a planning God and he gives forethought to what he does. He is wise. And if you believe that he is all-knowing and omniscient, then God is never playing catch-up ball. Oh, no. He takes all of his knowledge into account when he makes his plans. He is never caught off guard. If God wins a battle in the last three seconds with a random arrow shot across the field, then understand this. God planned it that way. God planned it that way. God never gets lucky. Mm -mm. Isaiah loves to stress that point over and over. Isaiah says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, th things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purposes. Hallelujah. Isaiah saw that. You have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Isaiah sees a vision of God stretching from eternity past to eternity future. Secondly, what does Isaiah see? Oh yeah. He says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people 
Note that all peoples. It isn't universalism with each and every person being saved. People were still rebelling and going to hell. Rather, he is speaking of every nation, all people groups, every tongue and kindred and tribe. He says he will make a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. We're talking T-bone steaks here. I mean, Stephen loves to give illustrations on food. I mean, it's, I mean but we're talking about the Lord himself. Can you imagine that? Oh, ooh. aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Well, what is that shroud? What is that covering that's over the people then swallowed up? He tells us it's the shroud of death. It's the shroud of death because of men, because mankind's being obtuse and rebellious and the depravity of man. God's going to swallow it up. The veil of death that hangs over all people, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You want hope? There is hope. You want hope for little children in little African villages with bloated bellies going to bed starving and hungry? This is the truth. That little child is on his or her, her way to a banquet prepared by the Lord himself. Oh, hallelujah. What a truth. It's what sustains us. And I'm grateful. Our reproach, yours and mine, meaning the appearance that we have been abandoned and forsaken by God, God removes that reproach from us. So Isaiah sees a day coming when all the nations and all the people groups, every tongue and tribe will no longer be at odds with Almighty God and His Messiah, who we know to be Jesus Christ. They will no longer worship Asherah or Baal or be led by the likes of Ahab or Jezebel. No longer followers of Moloch or Allah or Buddha or a $3.5 trillion utopian program or some capitalistic growth possibilities as the answer to human need. No, no. Instead, they will come to faith on God's holy mountain. Yes. They will come to a banquet and they will have that veil of sorrow removed and death will be swallowed up and the reproach of God's people will be gone and every tear will dry up because the Lord will yes. wipe them away. Ah. Isn't he wonderful? Yeah, amen. Well, that's the setting. God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. And I said all of this to get to the primary point, the vision found in verse 3. We need to hear this as it relates to our work in Muslim nations and Hindu states and tribal ancestor worship that goes on in the villages throughout Africa. Verse 3, get a hold of this. Therefore... Strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. In other words, folks, 
God is stronger than the strong peoples. He is stronger than the Muslims. He is stronger than the Hindus. He is stronger than the idol worshipers and those who follow with their amulets and ancestor worship. He is stronger than all the strong peoples. He is so powerful and gracious that in the end, he turns these ruthless cities, these ruthless nations to fear him, to be in awe of him, to bend a knee to him in worship. This is, this is amazing. This is mind-boggling, particularly if you ever watch the evening news and you see what's going on in our world. And this hope is a bright star in the midst of a dark world. So the vision of verse 3, that strong peoples and the cities of these ruthless nations will turn to fear the Lord. Their hostilities to the gospel will be removed and they will have the disposition of their heart changed from hostility to be a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. This is the vision Isaiah lays out. The vision that he gives us is one that all nations will turn to God in worship. And a great banquet will be held for all the people. The Lord of hosts will make a great banquet for his people. Are you getting a hold of that? The Lord Jesus himself will yet again wrap a towel around his waist and he will serve you and me a meal. He will meet us on that holy mountain and prepare for us a banquet of the finest of fare because of his great love for you and I. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that overwhelming? Sinners like you and me would be brought to this place and Jesus will wrap a towel around him and serve us yet again? That is grace upon grace. That's an amazing Lord that we serve. Unworthy people receiving untold grace and mercy. The triumph is sure because God is doing it. Verse 1 says, He planned it long ago and He is working wonders to bring it to pass. Therefore, we can be certain of it. That these, that our work, that our work in the cities of these ruthless nations is not in vain because the Lord has spoken. No life spent in the cause of world evangelism, no sacrifice to disciple or train pastors is spent in vain. Not one prayer, not one dollar, not one sponsored child, nothing in the cause of advancing the kingdom of God is in vain. The triumph is sure. Hallelujah. Now, as we close out this this morning, I want to look at a New Testament example of how this vision of Isaiah was realized in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I want to see how Isaiah's vision was manifested through the apostolic work of the Apostle Paul as this is a fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. As we know, Paul's missionary strategy was to go from city to city to plant churches, right? 
Acts chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us that that was his strategy. Then we come to Acts chapter 16, and it gets very specific. In Acts 16, a vision appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul's response, you know, was to take a team from Turkey and to Mas into Macedonia and to focus on the major city, Philippi. That's what Paul did. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Here's what I want you to know. Philippi was a very pagan and diverse city. This city had the imperial cult that deified Caesar. They had a cult that was in operation that worshipped Caesar. There were Greek gods and goddesses with their temples and altar and their altars. They had their Latin names of Jupiter and Juno and Mars. Artemis, she had her cult following there. In other words, it was a pagan city. It was to use the words of Isaiah, it was a city of ruthless nations. And Paul went into this leading city in Macedonia because he wanted to touch it with the gospel. So what did Paul do? Well, he preached by the river and God saved one woman. Her name was Lydia. He preached in the streets and by God's power, he delivered a slave girl who had been possessed by a spirit of fortune telling. Now her owner could not exploit her and make money off of her. You see, trial, child trafficking is nothing new. Its roots are deep. So the owner couldn't exploit this girl any longer and make money off of her. So for that, Paul and Silas had their clothes torn from them. They were beaten with rods and after being afflicted with many blows, they were thrown into prison. And they were there with their hands and their feet in stocks at midnight. Paul and Silas, they prayed and they sang down a miracle. And all the prisoners heard them. The earth quaked and the foundations of the prison shook. And the doors of the prisons were open and the stocks fell off. And the prisoners were all standing there set free from their chains. And Paul preached the gospel to the jailer and his family. And God saved him and his family. So now there's the church. There's the church. A businesswoman who sold purple goods, a former slave girl, and a low-level government employee and his family. There's the church. What became of this church? Well, it grew and it grew. Paul called the church of Philippi his joy and his crown. And in Philippians 4.15... 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Except you only. They became so transformed that they generously supported the apostolic work, the mission of Paul, the planting of churches, the raising up of leaders, and they became a model to other churches. A simple moment like that transformed Macedonia. For me, in 1976, at age 17, God touched my heart with his heart. And all I could do was to jack up my car and take off my tires and my wheels and give them as an offering to see the gospel reach into nations. I had no idea that he would require more of me, <laughs> even my life. But I tell you, he has given me much more than I ever could have thought or imagined. And I'm a blessed man. Maybe some of you need to jack up your cars. Hey, Steve, that's an idea. Those tires and wheels over there are pretty expensive, aren't they? We can make a fortune off of those babies. How about, a, how about some tires off of Maserati, huh? We're going to take a look at a couple of videos, and I want your heart to be glad in what you see as you see the advancement, the impartation of the Word of God into these cities of ruthless nations. Um, I want your heart to be glad for all that God is accomplishing in His great world. We're conducting a four-month leadership training program in Pakistan starting in January. By God's grace, I'll be going. We have 10 pastors that are going to be trained. Khalid is under great pressure because he's telling me that there is over 24 more that are begging him to get into the program. It is just the need of the hour for training. And so he has the hard duty to sift through the candidates and make choices. But we're delighted in the hunger there in Karachi, Islamabad, and Hyderabad. So we are looking forward to seeing what God will do there. A note about the video that you're about to see in Pakistan. You'll see just a few seconds of a gunfight between the Shia and the Sunnis over the issue of leadership in the streets. This took place in front of Shaquille's house, one of our students, one of our CLTI graduates. Um, this is in front of his house there in, in Hyderabad. And so you'll get an idea of just what environment uh, we're working in. Secondly, you're going to see a beautiful widow who gives thanks for the COVID relief that she has received from this church. Beautiful widow lady who could speak broken English, and so she didn't want Khalid to do it. So Khalid coached her in order for her to speak in English to say thank you to you all for the gift which has sustained her. So we're going to take a look at these videos and let your heart be glad. So Roy, would you start please with the first video in Pakistan?
Khalid is uh, one of our graduates from 2017. He is a remarkable man. Currently, he oversees three churches, of which he has planted all three. Um, one this year, the one that you saw um, with all the bright light, was kind of like half outside because they don't have a roof yet. But he's reaching into the villages, the Karundi village that you saw there. Roy, would you show that, uh, that PowerPoint picture that I sent you of Margaret and uh, Malchin, her husband? In a recent, um, there we go. 
in the Karuni village where they're doing the outreach where we sent money over so they can do, um, you know, the water pumps because these villages don't have access to clean potable water. So we've got that set up and you saw some pictures of that. Anyway, while he was there in the village preaching the gospel, walking the streets, gathering a, cloud, a crowd, just like Paul, when he wanted to reach the people there in Philippi, he preaches the gospel. And this beautiful family, Merchant and Margaret, came to faith through the power of God, through the gospel, and they were immediately taken to the river and water baptized, which was an absolutely amazing dynamic. The next week, we received phone calls that their house was being set on fire, and the family was threatened, and it was very, very difficult for them and their five children. And so we quickly rushed from this church resources to relocate them to another village that they might be safe, that they can set up again and get their fields going and uh, continue on in safety. But this is the environment in which we're laboring. This is what it costs people to bend the knee to Jesus. Jesus is the rock of offense. Jesus will cause you to have rocks thrown at you. There will be suffering. But they, when you'll see a video, and another time when I have time, they sent me a video telling me how happy and joyful they are in knowing that Christ has saved them and that their future is a bright future for all eternity. It's a beautiful video in which they're thanking us for the support and the help. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. So there's Khaled. He's a wonderful man, doing a great job. Okay, we're going to finish off with a, a video real quick from Zambia. So, Roy, thank you for doing all the AV work back there today, Roy. Man, you are quite the dancing bear. You're getting it done. <laughs> if you'll roll the video on Zambia, thank you.
excitement this morning. We're on our way. We're going to Katuta's Palace. The only way to get there is on bicycle. So we have been working diligently this morning, finding pieces and scraps of bicycles to be able to put a few of them together so we can make it. Now, it's not just a matter of getting there on bicycle and foot. We've got to cross four streams, one river. So in a little while, you're going to see the path in the adventure, but right now we're making necessary repairs so that the saddle doesn't chafe Adam's backside. He's very worried about that. Here we go! All right. Good to see you. Okay, off they go. The stream is nearby. Yeah. We're getting closer. That's one. Really? Close and fun. That's the last stream.
behind we are offered has tens and twenties of them running all over but we are determined tonight to get rid of as many as possible so that we can at least have a peaceful night tell everyone how long these traps have been set for now these traps have only been set for uh, less than 15 minutes and already we've got two there are still two more set out there we expect any time they'll be going off and more mice will be coming out. Now, tell everybody that your fear is is that these will get in Mike's face. I, I cannot don't... sleep with these running all over my face. We had a tough time with Mike. He wanted and he was going to sleep in the car because of the mice running all over. And somehow he managed to go through the night in the same house. Stability to our life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Well, glory to God that his gospel is a gospel to the nations. His kingdom reigns over all. I give God thanks that the gospel of Jesus Christ will penetrate cities of ruthless nations and bring them to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Christ is the answer. And his gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We're committed to that. And I'm grateful to be in a church that hasn't ebbed away from that vision for all of these years. And I count it an honor to be able to serve in this capacity. And so I'm gonna turn it over to Stephen, because um, we're out of time. And Stephen is going to give you a few instructions as it relates to how going forward you might be able to contribute to our CLTI program in 
uh, Pakistan. We'll be doing leadership training in India and Zambia later this year as we're going to gather the pastors and do some uh, work there with them. It's been a couple of years because of the crazy COVID. And so we're looking forward to reuniting and getting back to work in these fields. All right. Thank you for your time.